You are listening to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. Today is the final podcast in our series about a play called The Exonerated. It was written in the year 2000 by Eric Jensen and Jessica Blank. Back in 2018, I put together a benefit performance for the Innocence Project of Florida of this very play. It was a deeply moving experience. Now we get to meet three cast members of the play, Paulette Layton, Chris Cooney, and Kevin Knight. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Harriet. Let's let's begin by telling my listeners which characters you play and a brief explanation of who they are. So, uh, Paulette, let's begin with you. Um, I actually played two minor characters. Uh, The first was Sandra Cook. She was married to Carrie Max Cook. uh, And the other was Sue Gauger, who was married to Gary Gauger. Okay. Um, I guess what we'll do is swing back to those characters so you can tell us a little (laughs) bit more in depth. Uh, Kevin, who did you play? Great. Yes, I played Delbert Tibbs. Um, My role was somewhat unique to versus the other roles. I was a bit of a narrator, and I also was a person who was incarcerated because I was falsely accused of murder and rape. I see. Okay, and then Chris? Hi, Harriet. Thank you for having me. Uh, I played Carrie Max Cook. Uh, Carrie Max Cook was incarcerated on death row for 22 years for the rape and murder of a 21-year-old girl in East Texas. Wow. All right, so very different characters. And you three are not the only uh, cast members. How many ca- uh, total cast members were there? There there were 10 of us. I 10, okay. Yes. So we're only meeting four cast members and your director, right? Right. All right. So now the way the play was... Um, formulated or or put on, Uh, George was talking a little bit about that, Um, that you're all on stage throughout the entire performance. Why is that fact worth mentioning? Um, I think it's a very different experience for an actor to be visible on stage for the entire play, yet you're not actually a part of the scene. So we were almost a part of the set. We were Mm -hmm. in the shadows, but but still, you know, seen somewhat. And it's very difficult um, not to react to what was going on. You know, as an actor, you're trained that if you're on stage, you should be reacting to what's going on, even if you have no lines. Mm. So um, it took a lot of practice to remain neutral, especially with these incredibly moving stories. I had to, I, actually, I actually tried to think of myself um, when I was sitting in the sidelines as a third character and one who was just in a trance. Hmm. What about yeah. the uh, uh, you, um, mm-hmm. Kev, uh, Kevin or Chris? What what was your feeling sure. about? Sure, my my feeling was about that. It, it did two things. One, it, as an actor, it tested our focus and concentration. Had to be up there. Had to be locked in. It didn't get a mini break by coming off stage. Um, but the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting is, from the play's perspective, it really was a metaphor for what. A, an incarcerated person is going through that endless monotony of prison. 
And so I, I thought, you know, that was part of it is that we're sitting there as an incarcerated person. And that becomes that metaphor of what the audience is seeing this. And so it, it kind of builds an interesting tension, I, I thought. Hmm. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah, and uh, and and the way uh, Beth had set us up, Harriet was uh, Harriet was there was ten chairs, kind of in a U-shaped formation, and we were kind of like in the shadows. So we would come up intermittently throughout the show and piece together our stories. So it's like we were coming from the past, you know, into the light to one spotlight, and uh, it's very powerful. It was very um, very heavy and. Uh, to come out and do that and tell your story and then go back to your chair. Uh, we didn't know during rehearsal what to expect. We were doing this for months and you're up there for months in silence, basically and at rehearsal with no audience. So it was very uh, interesting to see the response um, from that, you know, are there any other plays that you all might know about that um, are, uh, structured like this particular one. I can't think of one. I don't. I can't think Ooh. of any. Was was Twelve Angry no. Men? What was Twelve Angry Men? I mean, I think everyone was on stage the whole time in that play, but I don't. But not like our structure at all. Yeah, the lights are up during that entire play on everyone. They're all yeah, you know. yeah. You know, that's interesting. So it, it's a quite a unique uh, kind of play. This you know, what the. Uh, Jessica and Eric created. There, I, I think um, you know, there are many, many things they could have done to tell the story, or many ways, I guess I should say, and they chose this way in particular. That's um, true, but I might add that Beth did something that was unique in it, that in how she structured it. So it, it is unique in how they put it together, and then Beth, as a director, really. Um, I thought brought some elements into it that, that made it much more powerful from an emotional standpoint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the director certainly can play around with it, you know, her, her way or his way, right? Um, all right, so I, I want to just go to uh, another topic, and then I want, I'd like to come back to the characters that each of you played. Um, your theater experiences, Paulette, you have written and directed plays, and you're on the board of the Ridgefield Theater Barn, where the play was put on in Connecticut, in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Can you expand a little further uh, about your experiences and tell us what, what drew you to the theater, given you have a degree in history and a graduate degree in humanities? Um. <laughs> Well, I was actually drawn to the theater long before academia. Um, uh -huh. I started acting at a young age, and um, I actually quit college after my freshman year um, to move into New York City and attend acting school full time. Um, but after a couple of years of not getting anywhere, I decided it just wasn't in the cards for me professionally. So um, I moved on, did some traveling, and then came home and finished university and ultimately getting my master's at NYU. But when I hit my 30s, I realized I really missed acting and that there was this hole, this creative hole in my life. And so I went back to acting school to get my degree, which I did more for myself than because I thought I'd be pursuing a career again. Um, but when I moved out of the city and back home to Connecticut in 2006, and I saw the rich community theater landscape in Fairfield County, I realized I could start getting involved on a more consistent level. So uh, 
the more I performed, the more I grew to care about the theaters where I was performing and wanting to help them su succeed and thrive. So uh, yeah, I joined the board in 2011 and um, I've taken on several different roles, both on stage and off. And it's enriched my life in ways that I can't even begin to explain. I mean, my life would be very flat without the theater barn. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, um, have you directed plays at the theater barn? Uh, yes, I've directed, um, I directed a one act uh, hmm, back in 2015. And then actually last year I directed um, a production we put together called The Divas. Um, it hadn't been produced before and I directed that hmm. last February. That's wonderful. And Chris, you are a latecomer to the theater. At age 47, you stepped onto the stage in Newtown, Connecticut, in the comedy Tom, Dick, and Harry. What was that like? That was 10 years ago, and you've <laughs> been in movies and on TV, just not on the stage, and tell us what you're doing currently. Well, that's, uh, I'm kind of opposite of what Paul Etcha said. <laughs> right. I, 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 um, I went through... I guess lots of childhood dream for me. Um, I kind of went through a hardship of divorce and I got to a point and I said, you know, what do you want to do? Uh, there was this little theater down the road called town players, Newtown. It's probably, I would say the second oldest theater in the state of Connecticut as an organization. And I would drive by it all the time. And I, there was an audition for that show. And I went there and I auditioned and I got a really small part. And then I got a phone call from the director one day and he upgraded me to a really big part. <laughs> uh, so the passion of the childhood dream came out of me and um, I started acting. I love it. Um, supposedly I'm fairly good at it. <laughs> and I pretty much haven't stopped. As far as the movies, it's kind of the same avenue. Childhood dream, I had a little luck where I got into a Wendy's commercial back in 2002, very brief, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, kind of still waiting for my big break in the movies. Um, it's a little difficult when you have a full-time job uh, to, to get that break and pursue it. But um, for now, I'm just continuing to do theater and uh, waiting for that break, you know, in the movies, if it comes. <laughs> What's your full-time job? I'm an elevator mechanic in New York City, uh, 35 years now. I see. So you do that and pursue your love of acting. Right? Correct. And, and are you doing anything currently? Because this play, I failed to mention, uh, was put on in Connecticut back in the fall. Was it September? The yes. Exonerated? Yeah. yeah. So w what are you doing currently? I'm kind of uh, on hiatus for right now. There's a lot of shows going on in the state or in Fairfield County. So a lot of those shows have been cast. Uh, so I got my eye out there and uh, just waiting to see uh, what pops up, you know. <laughs> I see. What have you, what have you um, uh, applied for or auditioned for that you're possibly hoping to get a part? Uh, again, the last couple of months, kind of just resting through the winter months up here in Connecticut, oh. you know, with the weather, but uh, nothing recently. Um, so I got my, I, I like real dramas. I like uh, true stories, which drew me to the exonerated. Um, it was just overwhelming and just so satisfying and gratifying in one way, even though it was a heavy story. 
Um, I was in 12 Angry Men at one point, as uh, Kevin mentioned, uh, mm -hmm. years ago in Bridgeport. But I see. Okay. All right. So, Kevin, your turn. You've been on stage in several plays, A Dangerous Man, Fences, which was written by August Wilson, Sisters, you played Frederick Douglass, and Race by David Mamet. Um, but you also manage a market research company and a karate school. How do you juggle all of those things? And in addition, you teach mindfulness uh, meditation. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going yeah. on there. <laughs> um, so, I would you know, say. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, what's the, the vein that runs through all of them is uh, it's very much people centered. Um, mm -hmm. I, the market research company that I have, I do focus groups, I facilitate focus groups. So I sit and talk to people and very extensively, sometimes in a lot of depth. Um, I'm actually just finishing up my master's degree in nutrition. And it is all about touching people and being involved. Everything I do, I think of, I think of from the thought of view of mindfulness. And, and I actually got into acting. I was taking a class. I had finished I was starting, I was working at a corporation and I'm, I took a class with a man named Doug Taylor, um, acting coach, and just fell in love with Doug's approach. Doug's approach is so mindful, so um, rich in touching people on an emotional level. And that's where my love of theater really blossomed. And um, I love the, I love the act of preparing I love the process, exploring, going deeper, rehearsals. Um, the showtime is, is, is great, but it's a little nerve-wracking. I love the, the preparation maybe a little bit more, but it's all people-centered for me. Hmm. Um, how you talk about mindfulness, um, can you maybe tell us, I'm sure there are people who've heard of it, but others who haven't, what, what, tell us what that uh, entails. Yeah, so mindfulness is really is bringing your awareness, raising your awareness to things that you want to focus on, that you want to bring into your awareness. And so many of us walk through our lives, um, I'll say sometimes, and me as well, um, walk through our lives sometimes asleep. I drive from point A, to, I drive from Connecticut to Vermont, and I get there and I go, wow, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. I don't even remember any aspect of this. But to be mindful is, is to take in everything that's around you, to see the, the trees, the road, how it changes, the sun rising and setting. It's to be a, awake. And that's really what mindfulness is. And so there's, um, there's some real direction that I would give if someone wanted to learn mindfulness and to how to mindful meditation. I, I actually teach, it's a six-week program that elevates that, that tool inside of our body, inside of our brain to become more, more aware and more awake. More present, as my yoga teacher would say, right? <laughs> more present, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I was just starting to chair yoga, which I like very much. What, what particularly drew you to the theater? I just love the, I love the authenticity. It's in an odd way. It's, it's the one opportunity that I think I get in my day to be absolutely the real Kevin. 
I'm playing a character. I know it's a character and it's artificial circumstances. I'm bringing my re the reality to it. But it's it's so real. It's the only time that we truly allow our emotions to be expressed because it's it's okay there. Everywhere else, you know, we have to do a little monitoring. But theater, we can let it loose. And I, I kind of love that. That's great. Um, all right. So each of you saw something in this play that resonated with you. And I, I'm going to ask each of you what, what that was. So um, let's start with you, Kevin. Yeah. You know, it's not the, and, and I know people will think it's the injustice of the falsely accused. Absolutely. That's part of it. But what really resonates with me is the deprivation of the soul, you know, the, the torture, the debasement, the absolute violation to me of the, the no cruel and unusual punishment amendment. Um, every day, these, the incarcerated go through a process that just attempts to destroy their humanity. That's what really kind of is the element that that really sparks for me. It, it really touched my soul. Every Every rehearsal, every performance, that aspect of allowing people to live like that. Uh, it, it's just cruel. Absolutely cruel. And especially the injustice of the fact that these people didn't belong on death row, right. but, but that's where they were. Right. It, it adds another level to that, that humiliation. Right. Paulette, what about you? So to me, um, it's always about the story and the characters. That's the reason I auditioned for a play. Um, I mean, clearly this play has an agenda, but that's not what the play was about. It was about these six individuals and what they experienced. And it's impossible to read the play or listen to it or watch a performance and not be heartbroken and angry. And, you know, that's what theater is meant to do. It's meant to make us feel. And this piece is so beautifully put together and the way Beth um, envisioned it, it just, it, it did it effort, effortlessly. And Chris, your turn. Um, I would say early on, it was when I started looking at Kerry Max Cook and studying his story, um, I found a lot of similarities. I grew up in a small town in the Hudson River in Orange County, New York. And, you know, there was a lot of little petty stuff we did. And he kind of was that guy in East Texas. And uh, it seems at times that you're kind of one day you could be on death row and one day you're the luckiest guy that was an angel watching over you. Uh, so I, I related to that because I didn't get in big, big trouble, but, and I, I think Carrie Max Cook was that kind of guy. And then other things happened to him and, you know, next thing you know, he's on death row. So mm -hmm. I had a pretty strong connection to him. Um, how, how much did any of you, uh, delve into the background or the actual cases uh, of, of the character or characters, as Paulette um, played too. Uh, did you do a lot of research about the person you were playing or no? <laughs> well, we, we weren't supposed to. Oh, you weren't supposed to? No, oh, no. I, um, Chris, I didn't know that. Chris actually, Chris read a book, a book about Carrie Max Cook, and uh -huh. he lent it to me the very day he lent it to me so that I could get to know um, Sandra. <laughs> Beth informed us that she didn't want us to do any research um, 
because she wanted us to play the characters, not try to copy an actual person. Yeah. And I totally get that. Yeah. Um, But that did make it a little bit challenging, Um, particularly, I mean, obviously the guys had much media roles, but for me, it was, it was challenging, you know, to try and find out who these characters were based on such little information, you know, each of them had maybe 10, 12 lines. Um, Mm. So I, I gleaned what I could from that, but, you know, and build them into full human beings, but uh, but that were also I had to make them distinct from one another and make the relationships that they had with their respective husbands also different. So um, I would have liked to have done research, but I didn't do any. Chris, <laughs> go ahead. Chris. Well, yeah, I kind of read the book. Uh, he he, they the show was written written I should say uh, about Carrie Max Cook. The play was put on. I think, guys, if I'm right. 2002 on Broadway? Around that. Uh, it was written in 2000, and I think about a year later, they were able to launch it. Uh, and um, the, the thing that stood out with me, that he's alive today, and to me, that was, I was, I felt like, wow, this guy's alive, and I wanted to tell his story correctly, if you will, even though I think they don't want you to copy exactly his life what happened to him but tell the story of the incarcerated what can happen so yeah i did i did cheat and i gave paul that the book (laughs) did beth know you cheated we confessed (laughs) (laughs) beth is a very forgiven director uh everything positive with that (laughs) well and in fairness it wasn't really cheating because she didn't tell us not to research until after you had already read it yeah and then i didn't read it until afterwards (laughs) Oh, okay. okay. Well, to add to that though is the the origin when we originally auditioned, it was for a different director, and oh. the other director actually said, "I want you to research their, your character." Ooh. So I did a little bit of research, and then we shut down, and then we had a new director, Beth, who said, "I don't want you to research the, the, your character." So it it kind of had a couple of lives. Um. I did a little in between. I started to research, and then I um I actually preferred just kind of best direction. That was um, really worked better for me. And you know, when she was saying she wanted you to play the characters, um, not the actual people, I'm not sure I understand the the difference. Can you explain that? Yeah, I, I think it was really when we read the the script, what do we get from the script? So we are playing the character, we are playing the people, but not how someone else may have um, thought of them or depicts them, um, or even how they may have written about themselves. Let the words that are in the script allow that to develop the character for you as you read it. What's the emotional life that you're getting from it? Um, and therefore, you're not, therefore, it's not, you, you're getting it. It's not being put on you. You're getting it from inside of you. I think that's what was Beth's intention. I, I don't know. You guys you, you feel differently or? No, what do you I think? agree. I agree. No, absolutely. I, I think one of the things that I would tell or speak to Beth during the rehearsals, I said, Beth, I need to find somewhere to laugh. And she goes, It's okay. It's written within the show. And there are lines in there. Uh, I think even though you're incarcerated, you're still human. And I think a lot of humans have that emotion of laughter and sadness. And uh, 
So there are times within the show where you can show that even though you're on death row. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. right. All right. Well, we um, have explored some of the, uh, the play and your, your roles in the play. Um, we're just about out of time, but all of you have agreed to come back and tell us a little bit more. So uh, we'll do that. Uh, and uh, I'm delighted that you were here today. And I, I think uh, when people hear the entire podcast with s several cast members and Beth as the director, they'll get more of a picture of what was intended by Eric Jensen and Jessica Blank when they wrote this play some 23 years ago. And to me, the remarkable part of it is that it's being performed almost on a regular basis all over the country. And, and that I find fascinating that it still has something to say after all these years. And certainly, you know, right now uh, with, uh, with always, there's always a case in the news of someone either being exonerated, uh, not necessarily on death row or someone taken off death row. So it is very current. So thank you all for being with us today. And I hope uh, our listeners will tune in next time to hear more of what you have to say on pursuing justice. And thank you for listening. See you next time. Thank you, Harriet. Thank you. Thank you.